0: This is Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 659. And the quote of the day is, As practice makes perfect, I cannot but make progress. Each drawing one makes, each study one paints is a step forward. Listening to the Drummers Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming and beyond. And beyond, and beyond. Hey, hey, what's going on, everybody? Nick Raffini here, episode six hundred and fifty-nine of the Drummers Resource Podcast, and I hope all is well in your world. And hope some of you are getting out there and, and playing some gigs and seeing some live music. Because that's what it's all about. I don't know. As far as I'm concerned anyway. Uh speaking of out and about, I got my man Joe Dyson on the show today. And he's in Italy. He's or he's in Europe. We recorded this while he was in Italy. He's on tour with Pat Matheny. And we talk about working with Pat Matheny, this current tour, but also some legends that he's played with in the past, namely Dr. Lonnie Smith, who we have a deep conversation about that, also about him being a band leader and, and talking about his record and all sorts of great things. And I love his analogy about getting better. And, and he talks about consistency and, and how he structures his day and his weeks and his and really his life to really maintain this high level of creative output so i think a lot of this is super helpful and uh and i think that you can take some of this and put it into your own practice so i'm not gonna waste any more time let's get in it with joe dyson joe dyson what's happening man
1: oh man everything is so good thanks
0: for having me on of course thanks for thanks for being a part of it and and we were just talking off air. You're in, uh, you're in my favorite country. You're in Italy right now, and um, you're on, you're on tour with Pat Metheny. Talk to me a little bit about, uh, about this tour.
1: Yeah. So this tour is I'm I'm with uh, Pat Metheny Side Eye Trio, and this is our first time uh, headed to Europe, and we've been uh, we've been out here now since uh, April 23rd. We started dates. Um we went through uh Germany, we've been through uh Czechoslovakia, um where else? Uh we've been through Hungary at in Budapest and um now we're here uh in Italy, uh, which is definitely a place I love coming to. I've been here quite a few times and I love the food and I love the people. <laughs> so we uh we're here for a few more days and then we, we get back on the road. Um headed uh headed more east as well we go to poland um and i think they go uh back west to like france and go throughout the uk it's it's really like a, a full european tour we're out here for two months
0: amazing i just want to call yeah. out by the way that joe just walked off stage too so he's like <laughs> it's it's midnight in italy right now and and uh he just he just wrapped up a set so uh thank you so much for yeah. for doing this at, at this time too absolutely thanks for having me yeah of course um there's there's something about being and i i i know know that i am biased because i love italy but there's something about touring in europe that is that feels completely different than being in the states in terms of and this is just my thought i want to get your thought on it in terms of how the clubs treat you how the how the fans treat you the sort of the accommodations, it just seems like they're what anytime I'm in Europe or you know, anytime I'm talking to someone who's touring in Europe, it's they they feel like they it or it feels like they want you there and they're appreciative that you're that you're there. Do you do you get that sense when you're when you're touring through Europe?
1: Absolutely, every time. Um, I think it just has to do more so with Europe being in, uh, housing one of the, I mean, some of just the older countries, just the old world. And they have, they've seen more life. They have more appreciation for the arts. Um, just because they've seen, you know, thousands of years of, you know, just great art in general, great artists and great minds,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, develop. And, um, they just, they, I think they have a different appreciation for it. Uh, I'm not saying that, um, um, you know, any other country, or um, continent at this point um, has any less appreciation, but it's different uh, America, you know, it's a, it by it being the new world, I think that there's so many ideas that, that come and go like really fast. So we're, I think we have appreciation for what's new on the horizon. Mm-hmm. We're always looking to what's next. Um, and, and in Europe, I think they have a, like a, a broad appreciation, not only for what's new, but, um, what's here, what, what exists. And they also have appreciation for, um, things that are, uh, vintage and, uh, things that had, a, that have been here and are withstanding. So, yeah. um, something to be said about it for sure.
0: It's interesting. I've never thought about it like that, but when, when you're in New York, the sort of the, the center point of everything over there is their history and the rich history of, of, you know the buildings and and the um and the wars that happened over there and and the the great leaders who lived over there and everything and when when you're in those countries yeah that's what people are going on tours to go see that and and all of that and it's so ingrained in the culture but i never thought about it that way that they have so much more so much more appreciation for the arts but it's such a part of the of the culture over there that that's what you do exactly. you go to you go to museums you go to see music you go to you know you go uh uh touring through old buildings and and ruins and things like that That's a that's a very interesting point
1: yeah i, they, mean, I, I always love coming here for sure <laughs>
0: yeah yeah i i i'm the i'm the uh i'm the same way um and to, and speaking of people like looking at the past i was thinking about you playing with Pat Matheny and all of the amazing drummers that he's played with over the years. I mean, the list is, the list is endless. Um, how do you approach a gig like that? Knowing, you know, Pat's played with all of these amazing people. And, and I don't know if they're, I don't know if they're big shoes to fill, but there are uh, there's definitely a legacy. There of people who've played with him.
1: Well, to start it off, Pat made it very clear that he's just like, this is, um, your chair. This is your time, and he makes it very easy to uh, be yourself. And he's willing to work with uh, the tools that you bring to the table. Of course, there's you know many things that other artists and great drummers have contributed um, uh, to the drum chair and his band. Um, and you know he makes you aware of it, but um, he's really he's really generous with letting you. Um, Giving you a platform to be able to express yourself, uh, obviously within the context of the music in, in and sense. Like he's always about, you know, fine tuning and getting close to the the composition as possible. But he also uses you um, as a vessel to get there, and it's it's really great. It's refreshing, and I'm very appreciative of it.
0: Yeah, I have to imagine with someone like him, where he can continuously call on great musicians. And no matter who was in the chair before, or no matter what bass player was there before or something, if he brings someone in who's at that same caliber, they're not going to play the same. They're not going to sound the same. They're not going to push him the same way and, and vice versa. So I have to imagine it's such a it's such a refreshing and, and learning experience for him too, right? Because he has to learn how you play too.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and in some sense, He's already done a lot of research. Like, I think that uh, people don't really realize how invested um, Pat is into the music um, scene um, as a whole. He's constantly looking at, you know, who's the next guy coming up and, um, like, not just what you're doing now in the moment, but what you have done. Like, I think Mm -hmm. the first time that I uh, made contact with him, uh, we spoke and he said that, you know, Yeah, I've been checking, you know, you out for a period of time. I saw you at Dizzy's with, you know, Nicholas. I've seen you with Donald. I've seen you with Dr. Lani. I mean, these are just, you know, artists that I've uh, basically grown with, uh, especially Mm -hmm. like with Donald. Um, He's like a mentor of mine and um, Dr. Lani for sure. These are artists that I've been playing with since I was a teenager. Right. Uh, So for him to make mention of that uh, really showed that he's put some time and research into understanding you are as a um as a musician as an artist um and how you have developed over time and um and he's not he hasn't just done that with me he's done that with any other musician that has uh, come across uh, Mm. this band and any other future artist that that is coming across he has a whole list of musicians that he would like to uh work with um in the future and he's he really does the research so by the time you get there (laughs) with him He's already acclimated to uh, who you are.
0: <laughs> he already he already <laughs> knows your whole bag. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, don't remember that thing you did. Don't do the thing that you did four years ago on this gig. You know. <laughs>
1: hey, yeah. No. He's. I mean, he's he's really great. <laughs> he's he great. Is.
0: <laughs> I mean, I think that that speaks to music in general. That I mean, that's one of the biggest things that I love about music. There's no endpoint. You know, you can do this until you're a hundred and still will have room to grow or room to learn or, or, and the fact that I hear people like Pat Metheny and, and, and particularly older musicians who are still searching for it, right? They're still searching for new musicians. They're still searching for that thing. They're still trying to catch lightning in a bottle. That's the, that's the most inspiring thing. You're never going to run out of ideas or, or. Or things to try to achieve it's amazing
1: yeah no it, it's really inspiring to to watch him. I always tell him that every time I'm around him, it's always a master class for me, um, not only in musicianship and artistry but also like um as a composer i um, i you know I've recently just released my uh, debut album, uh, look within and you know it took some doing to put tunes together and um step in the chair as a band leader but to uh to witness him he's constantly refining a song like he's always just trying to get as close as possible to what the composition uh how and, and how the composition speaks what the composition is and how it speaks and it's just it's really incredible i've seen him i mean we just recently recorded a a record uh this earlier this year in january and I remember the body of work when he first given it to us. Uh, And by the time we got to the studio, like it was a whole new idea. It was something (laughs) completely, completely different. Like just from the ideas of just going back in and and, um, tweaking something or writing a new, a a whole new section to the music, just to make sure that this one moment in the music really speaks uh, to the listener. Mm-hmm. And it's really inspiring for sure. And every night, um, I mean, before the show starts, he's in sound check for an hour, and he's just going through compositions. I mean, not a, not just of his own, because he can really play for hours and hours just compositions of his own. Right. But he's also playing through other standards, and not just from the American songbook, but, but also other artists. You know, great composers from any genre that you can think of. I mean really the guy is you know really astute in in music in general and he's always trying to figure out how does something work and, and what makes it the um uh, what makes it so beautiful what makes it the song and yeah every time i see him this is always a master class and i'm very appreciative to have this time around him right now
0: i'm sure I wanna and I wanna put a thumbtack in look within because I want to go back and talk about that, particularly the the idea of, of transitioning into a band leader, uh, because I know that there's a lot of people listen who wanna put out their own records. Um if if you were if you if I asked you about Pat and and specific things that you learned, and I know it's a it's a tough question, but are there things that you can say that you can point your finger to that you can say these are a couple of the real key takeaways that I learned from Pat that that you could pass along to people?
1: Absolutely. Well, for one, the way that he structures a show, uh, we play for about two hours uh, solid. And that's not including encores because he has, you know, thousands of fans that want to he- continue uh, to hear him play. And as a musician, um, supporting him as the artist on stage, I must say that the show is really structured in a way where. You never get uh, burnt out. You never really get tired, just by the way that he creates the arc of the show, and and it's also uh, great for the uh, the audience member. They're not being bombarded with something. They're not being beat over the head. They're not being um, patronized in a sense. Like he's really um, playing right to the audience, and um, and he's taking the the band along with him for the ride, and I think that's one thing to walk away from, especially as a band leader. Um, I think we get so caught up in the idea of saying like, I want to show everything that I have in this one moment. And, and that's great. Uh, but we've, we've only been on stage for 15 minutes, (laughs) 20 (laughs) minutes. We have another hour to go. (laughs) So, um, yeah, watching him really structure, um, uh, I mean, and I guess that's, uh, that's when he wears his arrangement hat, just really structure how a show is put together. I think that's really great. And then obviously like, um, that translates in another way for, uh, for recording as well. Mm-hmm. He's always aware of, um, how he wants the song to, um, I guess re uh, en- enact with the, the listener. So he's always thinking about subtle things to put together. Um, whether that's the tempo, um, whether that's um, textures and how to put, um, how to add something to a song, and yeah, now that that part is endless. I mean, I, I, I'm actually not that astute yet in that part because right now he's in post production, so he's, I haven't even seen that side yet. I've only been in the uh, the pre production side of just putting the song together and going and recording it, and that that was you know just really great in itself but definitely you know for any listener out there who's a band leader or just want to get into uh, just structuring your shows definitely i would just try to sit down and think about you know each song individually and and putting a story together and and figuring out how you want to convey that story to the audience
0: Mm -hmm. he's
1: a he's really a mastermind at that
0: yeah and you would mention Dr. Lonnie Smith and he he's my favorite organist and i mean he introduced me to to a slew of drummers like Joe Dukes and Idris Muhammad and Jonathan Blake and mm-hmm. and and all of these other drummers uh and it's interesting to me like he got me into a genre and then opened my eyes to all these drummers that i didn't know existed because i wasn't listening to that genre um and i feel like i found him and really like organ soul music later, sort of later in my career. I mean, I was probably 27 before I was playing any of that kind of music, but I know that you grew up in New Orleans, you started really young, like you started playing drums at two, which is like, you're pretty much the day you were born, (laughs) which is absolutely ridiculous. (laughs) And I mean that in a good way. Um, but were you oh, listening man. to all that kind of stuff? Like, were you did you grow up listening to Lonnie Smith or Pat Metheny or or, or things like that?
1: Well, I didn't necessarily grow up listening to to Dr. Lonnie or or Pat in that regard. Um, however, I was around the organ for sure. Mm-hmm. My father is an or, is an organist. And I would follow him around to uh, different churches. I, I, I should say I was being uh, brought around with him <laughs> to different churches. He would yeah. sit me next to him on the organ while he was in rehearsal or while he was in services. And I would just, just be there to absorb what he was doing. And sometimes he would you know, allow me to play certain keys. And... Um, that also helped just develop, um, understanding of, uh, pitch and tonality and mm-hmm. how it works with, with harmony. Of course, I didn't know these, the, this terminology, but you just get a greater, a broader sense of, uh, of music, um, just being around it in that, in that way. And then yeah. I, growing up in New Orleans, there's also a plethora of different bands, uh, second line bands and uh, not just second line bands, but also like cultural rhythm. Uh, cultural groups that's around that have so many uh rhythmic retention of you know like a African diaspora that's still um, intact in New Orleans. you can hear all type of uh, people practicing in their homes, uh, the second line passing down the street uh, and not just that, there's also the marching bands there mm. who have great arrangements, you know they have you know band directors and just uh, uh, Previous um, band, um, students of of the music who write their own arrangements to these these uh, you know to these schools, and then from there there's also um, what was that uh, there's all all of these funk bands and you know I, and me coming in the church you go from different churches and you see how different people uh, have their own fingerprint on the music. Mm-hmm. And that was my first introduction um, to to music. I, I started getting more into um, I, I guess uh, music of uh, improvisational music, jazz, and and um, other sides to the music. By the time I got to maybe f- fourth grade, fourth or fifth grade, um, I was studying at a program called the Louis Satchmo Armstrong Jazz Camp, and that's the first time that I actually met Donald Harrison, and um, also another mentor of mine, uh, Elvin Batiste, uh, who is a great music instructor and prolific um clarinetist in is, is that
0: is he related to russell baptiste
1: i believe so so that um, russell baptiste is also related to john baptiste that's john baptiste's uncle gotcha and, um, i feel i was gonna say john i feel like they're also,
0: all like yeah. they're all there in new orleans and they're and they're all killing yeah <laughs> like
1: every single yeah <laughs> funny story, I was I was talking with John. We were actually this was a few years ago. We were sitting back backstage and we were talk we were at the Henry Butler um Memorial. Um we just they they just did a, a show in the city in New York, uh just to like uh you know pay tribute to his life. He was he's a he was a, a great, uh really great pianist uh from New Orleans. I mean, really powerful. I mean I'm thinking of his sound right now it's, It gives me chills. But anyway, John, John and I was sitting backstage, and he was telling me a story about uh, him learning more about the the name Baptiste, and he was saying that basically the name started changing based on taxes.
0: On taxes? People, uh,
1: they, on taxes. He was. He said basically that uh, someone would go around to each house, and they would, uh, you know, ask for the taxes that were owed either on the property or taxes owed for, uh, for the city or the state at that time. And then he said uh, it was easier for people, someone in their family figured out that if I just changed the spelling of the name, that it would actually uh, separate, separate me from (laughs) any taxes, previous taxes owed or anything like that. So you slowly started seeing Baptiste with, with one T or two T's and then you start seeing Baptiste with a, with a P Baptiste and that's then that started would, adding that, more.
0: I was just going to ask you that, like, cause, cause there's, cause it's Russell Baptiste and then there's, and then there's another Baptiste B-A-T-I-S-T-E and they're related. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So well, ba- Russell Baptiste is, isn't with a P that's, that's actual uh, B-A-T-I-S-T-E.
0: Okay. Right. 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 Yeah. Um, which,
1: and, and, and just to tell you, Russell is incredible. I've, I've been around that, that guy since I was like maybe eight years old. He would always come and uh, do master classes, performances for our school. And I actually wind up going to his alma mater, my alma mater, uh, St. Augustine uh, High School, where the, the March of 100 fame that famous March one hundred the Grammy winning March of one hundred now yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah um uh is the the marching band there, and he was one of the the guys who did uh, who wrote cadences not just for uh saint August, but those cadences got really popular um around this amongst the city and um you know he's a, an incredible drummer and and a uh, great composer as well there's yeah. like a a really really beautiful um connection between. Drummers who are also composers in New Orleans, I mean that harkens back all the way to uh uh like James black, I mean being the one of the more modern composers from uh from that generation of the sixties, mm-hmm. like amongst like ellis Marcellus elvin batiste and um uh Chuck Beatty all those guys, but yeah no uh Russell batiste is incredible, I just wanted to say that he's so, <laughs> but, yeah, i mean no, it's it's
0: I haven't had him on the podcast. I've been wanting to get him on the podcast for so long, but he, uh, first I mean, he's a monster. He, Stanton Moore just put a video up the other day, or it was like doing a live video of him playing. But I remember watching him. I saw him with the funky meters, like, I don't know, probably 20 years ago at this point. And it was just like yeah. the whole, the whole room was, I mean, it was packed and the whole room was just kind of like swaying. And it, you know, it was, ugh, it yeah. was like, uh, who was on guitar? Um, Brian Stoltz was on guitar.
1: Oh wow! Yep, yeah. great, great guitars.
0: It was just, but but just watching him play was just insane, man. He's a he's a monster player. One of these days, I'll get him on, him. I could just I can just go goo-goo and gaga over how great of a player he is. <laughs> I'll just spill yeah, it all no, out when I talk to him.
1: Yeah, he's definitely one of the, one of the ones who who is holding the, the drum legacy together for sure. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so you would mention that your dad was bringing you around and bringing you to rehearsals and stuff like that. Were you enjoying it, or were you just like, "Ah, I gotta go." My dad's taking me to this. Oh no, to this rehearsal.
1: I, I, I was, I was eager to go. Nice. I, actually, um, funny story. So there's another uh, young drummer, um, my generation from uh, in New Orleans, great drummer by the name of Elvin Ford Jr. Mm-hmm. Um, I had him on. He actually. plays a. Play- yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's like my brother, man. So we, we've we literally been knowing each other since Diapers. Um, so those rehearsals that we would go to and the uh, uh, shows, I think uh, one of the churches in New Orleans was uh, Antioch um, uh, Baptist Church. Um, and then there was a, another church there, but they would do these rehearsals sometimes with the Gospel Soul Children or like just some of the, the choirs there. Elvin's father is a really great drummer in New Orleans. Uh, He's a great choir director now as well. But at the time he was playing drums and my father would be playing organ. He had a really great band at that time. And Elvin, uh, Mr. Ford would be bringing Elvin in diapers. And then (laughs) my dad would be bringing me in diapers. And we'd sit on this pew right in the front where the band was. And uh, Elvin would have his sticks and then I would have the instrument of the choice of the day. <laughs> like nice. I'd have this toy, toy guitar that had buttons <laughs> on it that you could play. Um, or like a little toy piano, something crazy. Mm-hmm. Just so I could be there with, uh, with, with uh, my dad playing or, or like some bongos or some sticks, makeshift sticks. And we, uh, we laughed about that. Uh, we actually were, were both graduates of uh, St. Augustine high school. and but uh, our freshman year we had just gotten uh before our freshman year we had gotten there to do a test to test into the actual program itself and we were getting ready to uh leave we were waiting on our parents but we also heard that the drum section was practicing so we went inside and um introduced ourselves and did like a quick audition for the the drum instructor uh David Wallace at the time really great drummer New Orleans, and teacher we both played and he knew Elvin, and uh, he had heard of me from from the city. And so, I, basically, they gave us a welcoming um, to to the program, and saying that you guys would definitely be, um, you know, on in the drum section when you when you arrive at Saint Olaf. So afterwards, we would outside talking and practicing and playing and showing each other rudiments, and just had this moment where we looked at each other and it was just like. You was you were that kid, you were that baby that was sitting on the pew and I was just like, Yeah, that's I was like I was like, I know your daddy, your daddy gentleman. And he was just like, Yeah, your daddy play organ, right? So That's awesome. Way, I mean I yeah, no, New Orleans is 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 one of those type of places where you everybody's connected in some type of way. It's it's really a big town, small city. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, Yeah, man. But yeah, that that was like my first introduction, for sure. My dad was bringing me around with him, and also playing in church with him. I started uh, just evolving and being able to do more in uh, for the church. Mm-hmm. Playing in a marching band, I studied with great instructor uh, at my elementary school, um, McDonald Fifteen, which was a creative arts uh, elementary school at the time. Jerry McGowan was the band director there. And he was really influential on, um, my playing, um, starting from the, uh, the technique, the way that, you know, you, you look at, um, how to approach playing. Like he's, he's really added, um, the foundation to, to, uh, I believe what, what I use, um, uh, to, to play and, and to, yeah. uh, to make sure that I'm being able to continuously do what I do. Yeah. Um, He's yeah, not that, that was, you're not the it, first
0: person to to bring him up. I've never met him uh and don't know too much about him, but but I've definitely heard the name before.
1: Oh yeah. Jerry McGowan is incredible. He he taught at McDonald's fifteen, but he also taught at uh, a lot of different um schools in New Orleans. Um some high schools, some middle schools. He he's also an alumni of Southern University. Um and by that time, like I think the time that he went through Southern University, he must have met so many guys that was there in the program. There's a guy named Herman Jackson who was also one of the instructors um for the drum department at Southern University a few years back. And um Herman's brother is uh Randy Jackson, the bassist and the mm. guy that was made famous on um uh for the American Idol. Yeah. Uh, I mean like that that's those
0: the thing that people don't like, I feel like no one realizes that Randy Jackson was a really great bass player.
1: Yeah, no, he's a girl. He was like, great. Actually, I feel like no one talks it, like, stories. Oh. I
0: feel yeah, like everyone exactly. was just like, oh, it's uh it's uh just him saying it's a no from me, dog. That's like oh, you know, I mean? know
1: right? <laughs> exactly. No, dude, he, I um... have
0: I have <laughs> I got my, now my wife, I got my wife saying that. So I'll be like, do you want to do this thing? And oh, she'll, be like, she'll be like, it's a no for me, dog. I'm like, how did, you? I'm like, that's oh, like my man. greatest accomplishment that I got her to say that. Sorry. Sorry to yeah. derail the conversation. No, no,
1: that's, no, that's hilarious. That's hilarious. <laughs> I might have to go back to say it. But not, um, there's, they tell great stories. Of, I remember back at, 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 jazz camp where they would uh, tell stories about him. my, other instructor, Elvin Batiste and also band leader, he would tell stories about Herman Jackson and, and Randy Jackson at Southern University. They would, play, they would be in his band playing along with Henry Butler and uh, a few other great instructors there. Um, he had uh, Billy Cobham come down to Southern. He was great friends with Billy all the time. I mean, like at that time. And Billy would come to the, the school and he was actually looking for a bassist. And I think Mr. Back recommended uh, Randy for the gig. So, Mm. yeah, Randy played with Billy for, he definitely played for him at at the concert in uh, in Baton Rouge at Southern. And he probably may have went on tour with him for a bit at that time. So, I mean, and that's no, uh, that's no easy (laughs) music to just jump on either. So, um, I mean, that really speaks to the level of artistry and intelligence that, already is,
0: mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's interesting that 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 doesn't get uh it doesn't get talked about enough um you know one of the things and it's you know it's no secret about the the style of music that gets played that that comes out of new orleans or this or, or i should say the style of playing that is this half swung half straight sort of you know like everyone calls it sort of playing between the cracks that kind of thing is that something is that something that you just naturally end up playing that way because everyone in new Orleans plays that way? Or is that something that was sort of was taught to you and was like, no, you got to approach it a different way.
1: Um, I think that it was more of a conditioning type of thing. Like I was, I was, I mean, living in new Orleans and and being there, like you just absorb a lot of the, uh, the sounds that's that's in the city, and then also, just uh, culturally speaking, like it's New Orleans is known as the the northern uh, most Caribbean city, uh, mm-hmm. which is a different energy. If if you've never been to any city in the Caribbean, people are much more laid back, um, and they're, um there's a phrase that we say in New Orleans: they sl- they slow but they show, uh, <laughs> they, which basically means like you know we're. We're moving slow, but we, you know, we're we're moving with intention. Yeah, and that um, I like. That. I think that that also goes into um, that goes into the 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 fabric of how uh, you know an an artist or a musician would would approach playing. And I don't think that's just a, a a drum thing. I think that's just rhythm in general. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a there's just a a certain affair of uh, the music how how we how we approach it. And um, I don't know if that's something that's necessarily taught. I'm sure that there's potentially a way to teach it. Like, I, I guess the closest thing would be, stylistically speaking, would be something like a boogaloo, um, mm-hmm. um, like a tune, like Alligator Boogaloo. The a, that's the first song that popped into my head Miami. too. The yes, first, yeah. as soon as you <laughs> said that, I was like,
0: like Alligator Boogaloo. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, that's uh, Adris Muhammad, the great Adris Muhammad who's playing on that record. And um yeah, I mean just the the spaces that he he finds in in that playing in in that on that record is um yeah, it's, it's basically the the same rhythmic approach that um a lot of artists um who, who are from New Orleans or who developed themselves in New Orleans Um, are are able to uh, uh, express
0: in a certain way. Are you ready for your first kit? Or are you a teacher with beginning drum students? The all-new Mapex Venus Series Complete Drum Kit presents an all-inclusive setup for the first-time player ready to start that Drummer for Life adventure. Mapex is dedicating to produce exactly what drummers need to succeed at all levels. And Venus starts the young and hungry player with a five-piece shell pack complete with a matching snare drum and outfitted with a complete set of stands and pedals, cymbals, and a drummer's throne, and even their first pair of drumsticks, all at an affordable price. Contact your favorite Mapex retailer to find out more. With Mapex Venus series, you can start here and arrive anywhere on your adventure to become a drummer for life the interesting thing is trying to learn like if you go and you and you try to learn some of the sort of new orleans rhythms and things like that like i can play all that stuff but i someone hears me play it and they're like okay that's not it's not real you know it's like it's this it's sort of this uh this scholastic version of of uh quote unquote like new orleans style drumming um and i think that i think you're right man i think the only way that you really get there is is by osmosis you're either you either got to be born there or live there and and play that day in and day out or or maybe have someone who who you play with now that that is showing you how that is
1: yeah, I mean, it's really you, it's one of those things you have to experience for sure. Like, I mean, it's, it it can you know it could be explained in a certain way, but I don't think um, you anyone. I mean, and I don't, I don't want to just say that that's with New Orleans music as well. I think that's just with um, with any type of medium that you choose, not just music, but anything within the, within the arts mm-hmm. and however that translates. I I think it always. Um, translates better you're always able to absorb it better just through experience and being uh uh, being in that moment with uh with whatever you're chasing Uh, i learned from my my mentor donald harrison he would always quote um charlie parker for saying that if you didn't live it it's not coming out of your horn and um, i I think that that, you know that really yeah it, it, it translates to anything you know if you if you really want to have something fully uh, be authentic and um, come from a place of um, you know f- full expression, you know, real like from a truthful expression, I think you just have to you have to go live, it. you have to experience it. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, no, that's 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 the real tried and true way for sure. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, I had mentioned that that i wanted to talk about your record and uh the record's called look within and i coincidentally last week i just talked to my good buddy daniel glass who had just released a record as a as a band leader and we had talked about i put out a record back in 2011 we talked about just what it's like putting out a record as a band leader as a drummer because most of the time we're wait, we're sitting by the phone waiting for the phone to ring. We're not the person going out and, and starting the band or or writing the tunes, being the band leader, going and get the gigs, all of that. Can you talk about the process of of writing a record first of all? And and just how you transitioned into a band leader because I think it's super valuable for people to learn how to do it.
1: Absolutely. Uh, So for me, uh, when I started writing the compositions um, for Look Within, it started with me actually teaching uh, private lessons at uh, Tulane University. I was an adjunct professor there, and there was a really beautiful piano in the office. And I got into this thing with my uh, students at the time where I would, um, instead of just doing the the uh, the thing where I would sit on the drums and play something for them and have them actually come and try to you know grasp the idea of what I was playing I would try to bring it in a more musical context so that they can understand by experience how do you use this uh, this tool and um, how do you approach it using your voice now so I would sit at the piano and just play little riffs or play little um you know rhythmic ideas small ideas and
0: how then, how well do you play piano
1: of, i wouldn't call myself a pianist <laughs> <laughs> uh, but i i i have some i have some experience i i mean i got gotcha. i grew up playing in church so um th- there would be but you can play where,
0: i mean you're not just no. like pecking at the keys you can you can at least play
1: Yes, I I could I could play some stuff. Gotcha. I I would say I I'm I'm more of a um I use the instrument for composition. Gotcha. And and just okay. getting ideas out. Okay. Um but yeah, now the um I in between doing uh playing for my students so that they can understand with how to use certain tools and the music, I'd have this time where um you know, other, I, I didn't have any students if a student didn't show or anything like that, I'd say like oh i like this idea that um um, i was getting to towards the end of that lesson or i didn't really explore that let me try to figure some stuff out and then sometimes i just developed into um, you know other chordal palettes or other uh, melodies that uh, that would come through and it just i really just developed a relationship with the instrument and started recording myself and trying to extract certain ideas from that and just really building on something from there. And then from there, I mean, when I wasn't at the instrument, I was also trying to do other exercises, sometimes singing into my phone, into <laughs> um, uh, the, the, uh, the iRecord. I can't remember what the app is called now, but uh, just, you know, rec- my memo, my memo notes mm-hmm. and uh, recording certain singing ideas and melodies that I would hear throughout the day. Try to come back to that and develop it, and then I was doing other exercises where I was just taking pencil to to paper and just getting away from the instrument and seeing how well I was getting to um, list uh, to writing the ideas that I was actually hearing. And from there, I'll just take those, just those uh, compiled ideas, those sketches, and really try to uh, build something. It took me a few months for sure. I want to say I started that. Maybe spring of um, twenty seventeen, maybe or mm-hmm. spring of twenty eight, twenty eighteen. Actually, no, it could have been some somewhere around the end of. Uh, sorry, it might have been the fall of twenty seventeen, going into um, going into twenty eighteen, and then twenty eighteen is when I really started putting ideas together. I put a, I had a gig um, that was offered to me in New Orleans at the Um, A club that's no longer with us, but it was a really great club and a really great club owner uh, by the name of uh, the club was called uh, The Prime Example um, in New Orleans. And it was uh, owned by Julius Kimbrough. Julius Kimbrough is an amazing um, advocate for the music in New Orleans and really appreciate him. Uh, Without him, I'm not sure if I would have ever gotten to really getting the record together. Uh, Cause that was the first time that I really premiered the music to um, you know, to an audience
2: mm-hmm.
1: and, um, prior to that, just, you know, getting musicians together and believing in um, the music that I was able to put together and sharing it with others to, you know, put something together. So it's really, really important. Um, yeah. I, I think just a little bit, I mean, just to like bring more clarity to it, like, getting the compositions together, like it just, if you can write something, anything, whatever it is, if you spend like just a few minutes, but whether it's 10 to 20 minutes a day, just writing something or recording something or singing something or playing something, doesn't necessarily have to be melodic or uh, from a harmonic stature, it could be something that's rhythmic or it could Mm -hmm. be lyrics, something that just gets the creative mind flowing Um, Another way that um, I've been, um, uh, at least someone has, uh, through a conversation has told me is they've created a regiment for themselves where they consistently go at a certain time, whether it's to a studio or a coffee shop or, you know, to the park under a tree or something like that, where they literally just go there to have this space to creatively express themselves and then they document the moment. Really, whether they feel um, inspired or not. And what happens is over a period of time, while you creating this regiment, you kind of give a place to where inspiration can actually meet you, as opposed to just waiting for the inspiration to come and then saying like, okay, I'm going to use this moment. I'm going to, you know, have perfection come out of the pen or come out Mm -hmm. of the instrument. Um, and I think there's something to really be said for it, because had I not had that time to really just you know um be able to um you know be in communion with uh, my my ideas and you know just have this this uh this this space to to have um- a flow happening I don't know if it it would actually happen <laughs> mm-hmm. in that sense even now yeah. like i I try to use that same that same idea, like I'm trying to take every moment that I can, if I'm on a plane or if I'm on a bus, and um, I, I try to take some moments to sit in silence. And whether that's journal or um, jot down an idea or sing, and, sing an idea down, I think that, that all, it just really helps. And mm-hmm. those ideas build up over time. <laughs> Am I referencing my band leader, my, my mentor again, Donald, uh, he, I remember him saying that, if you look at it as digging a hole into the ground, if you take, you know, a, um, a shovel and you dig a hole at just one, just one shovel, one scoop out of the ground and you do that every day and, and you do that for about, you know, let's say you did that for about 30 to 60 days. You realize from that first day that you started to now, you're like, you have a pretty big hole now, you mm-hmm. know, so yep. you have to, you have to dig you have to dig something, or you know, just dig deep. You know, could consistently, consistently go, consistently do something, and over time, you realize how much you're putting together and how much you're um, you're acclimating for yourself. And yeah, I mean, it, it really helps. Yeah.
0: yeah the the consistency, um, I think, is the hardest part. Everyone, you know, I remember talking to Michael Carvin about this, and he would he would bring people in to practice or to study with him, and he would say, okay how much do you think you can practice and they're like oh i can do th- you know 3 hours a day and he's like i'll tell you what do 5 minutes for the next 3 months do 5 minutes a day and come back to me if you can do that then we'll bump you up to 10 minutes you know but the that consistency is hard and i think that and I'm guilty. I'm just as guilty as everyone else. But for some reason, we think that whether it's creating ideas or or whether it's sitting down at the pad or sitting behind the kit, we think we need to do it for an hour or two hours or three hours where like, if you got 10 minutes a day to sit at the pad, it doesn't feel like you're making any progress. But you do that to your point, you do that for 30, 60, 90 days, you're going to see tremendous, tremendous results. I don't, I don't know why that... I don't know why our brains think that we have to do it for an hour at a time or two hours at a time or three hours at a time. I don't know what that is.
1: Uh, I think it's in, in a sense, you know, it's our our relationship to time. I mean, Mr. Carvin is, I mean, I haven't had the the, uh, the honor or the pleasure yet to meet him, but I'm definitely a, a fan and a student of his work. Um an artist like him and and uh, some of the elders that we have, like you know the the great Billy Hart, like these 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 gentlemen have had so much time at the um, with. I mean, just as being you know people who have so ha- has had a certain amount of life on the planet for one, so their mm-hmm. relationship to time is completely different from you know any of us, or especially a younger artist. Um, we were just talking about this reference to time with with Pat a few days ago on the on a tour where, you know, his reference to time, like he looks back at twenty thirteen or twenty ten. He's just like, Oh man, that was that felt like that was just last year, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, you know, and he related that to me saying, like, oh, like, you know, you probably look back at like a year now and see see how fast it goes. And compute that now to, uh, you know, I have a daughter now, my, my daughter's three. So like you, you ask her what, would um, how much is a day to her? How much is, you know, is a week to her, that feels like forever. Yeah. So, um, I think in, in our minds, we, we feel like, oh, I'm going to practice for two, three hours because, you know, depending on the reference to the person like that, that might mean like, oh, I've practiced a long time and now that's going to hold me. Um, but we also don't have the the perspective to to look at um, life from a bird's eye view and say like, oh, if I do this from this point to this point, um, I can actually you know really accomplish something mm-hmm. versus like trying to cram something in from a um, you know from one day and thinking like oh <laughs> it's going to fall on you like my yeah. band leader. I'm thinking I'm laughing because my band leader uh I mean, my not my band leader my my instructor uh, Mr. McGowan he used to tell us that when we were kids he was just like you think a, a fairy is going to spray some pixel dust on you and you're going to just get it <laughs> he was like you exactly. got to go and practice you got to yeah. practice I mean
0: you see it with well, yeah, everything no, it's like people going to the people going to the gym and after a week they're like ah this isn't working you know And it's yeah like, exactly it didn't take you a week to gain 30 pounds it's not going to take you a week to get rid of it you know.
1: <laughs> yeah no that's right that's right that's right. But yeah. I mean, definitely like, if, if you can be consistent at just putting something to, to paper or, or just putting the work in, in general, it doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily, necessarily have to be the paper, but just putting the work into, um, to create and to write and to produce something. Um, I think that helps and, um, at least, at least gets you to the point where now you have material that you can document and that was another thing. I think um for me um it was very helpful that I started to look at music or at least recording music as a a, a sense of just documentation. I think when I uh, before I was really looking at it um as this huge um you know monument this huge mountain that you know was just hard to get around like there was no way that I could possibly in my mind record something and have it be this this whole work of art where everybody's going to love it and all this other thing and then like you know now the world is going to um, to love it or not or uh, you know what, whatever that is uh, that we see music in uh, yeah. as for me it once it changed to the perspective of this is documentation of where i am at at this moment and I am going to change because change is the only thing that's constant. So mm-hmm. by the time that I change, I can have something to reference to see how much I've actually changed. So yeah. then I can document this other time period of, you know, my evolution from that point. Um, I think that I feel like for me that 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 helped a lot. And I hope that could, you know, help another artist out there drummer out there whoever you know is listening you know it's it's just documentation you don't have to see it as this huge thing so um
0: i think that document the documentation is huge and looking back at everything that you've accomplished and even when you even it's so silly but even when you if you go back and like read your own bio or something on your website and then you're like man okay i guess like I have accomplished some things, you know. Right? You feel you feel like you have made some progress. I remember Benny Greb saying that that if you show yourself progress, the need for motivation is non-existent because you can just continue mm. to watch that progress and say, "Okay, I, it is happening slowly, b- but it's happening." And I'm better this week than I was last week. And if you can just if you can keep that keep that going and keep tracking that progress, I think that's a that's a great point. Do you think that that's that's been the key to your consistency, just being able to look back and and say, "Okay, what did I do yesterday? What did I do last week, last month, last year um, has that been has that helped with that consistency
1: I believe so like it, it's definitely helped' It's, it's definitely helped in, in a sense like I, I learned about how you put uh, energy into something um, and how it could, you know, manifest into growing um, that, that, uh, that time, that that effort that's being put in. I learned that early on, like, um, mainly just from being around my, uh, you know, my instructor, uh, Mr. McGowan, like starting slow. i um, just like something as simple as doing a double stroke roll, like playing very slow. Like I remember the first moment that I had to hold the sticks and, you know, pulling with traditional grip and trying to, you know, get that just the form together um, Mm -hmm. and making sure that um, what I was doing was the the correct way of doing something. Um, Just developing that and then getting it to a certain speed and then constantly practicing that. I remember one moment I was in front of the class. He had all of the students always go to the drum and you know, show what you practice the night before or the week before. So we were doing the double stroke roll, and I thought I was like the, the, the the last person in class that could actually, you know, that was, you know, in terms of a totem pole, I always felt last. (laughs) So I was, I went up to the the drum and then I played and then, you know, got it to a certain speed and then slowed back down. And then I, uh, you know, hurriedly went to my seat and was looking down and the class was silent and and, and Mr. McGowan basically said he was like, oh man, I've created a monster. <laughs> and um, you know, in that moment it, you know, you realize like, oh wow, this is actually doing something, like the practice. I mean and you, and you, you know, you see it yourself. Like, I mean, you don't see it in that moment specifically, because mm-hmm. you know, you, if you're if you're really doing it from a, a a day-to-day type of thing, unless you're recording yourself or something like that you don't really see all of the progress that's being made. Sometimes you may need an outside source or, or something that, you know, again, like something that's recorded that you can reference, mm-hmm. uh, you know, specifically if we're talking for germs, like, like, let's say like something like tempo or speed and like somebody that wants to develop speed and you have a, a certain BPM mark you just like, well, I've been struggling at this mark for quite some time and, you know, consistently practice towards something. And then you realize like, oh, wow, I'm, I'm not really struggling here. Like my proficiency has gone up and now I'm at this BPM now. And, you know, mm-hmm. it actually, you know, you, it helps a lot yeah. of that too. Um, not just for the drums, but I, I learned this from Michael Carvin. You mentioned him earlier. There's a, a great video of him talking online where he talks about um, he's on, he's at the drum and he's saying that. Um, it's not what you're doing, it's how you're doing it. That's, that's what we have to pay attention to. And, um, I thought that was like, it, it just really helped, you know, piece some things together, um, mm-hmm. you know, tech technique, especially at the drums, like technique is just such a, um, monumental thing for us. Cause our, our instrument is really physical and if you plan on having longevity um as an artist and you know in in your career then you have to have some type of insight on how to improve your technique and how to have decent technique and um how you're going to uh, approach something so mm-hmm. that you know from the beginning that was that was always my uh, the, my my point of focus and even now um I'm I'm always trying to pay attention to my posture if i'm at the instrument if i'm um uh my breathing that was that, that's like the main thing i feel like everyone could could be working on not just at at the drums but you know in life in general just <laughs> making sure that you are breathing
2: <laughs> yeah
1: um but yeah now that that um like just the, it's the small things i think that really helps us um really really grow for sure mhm um I I know we, you, I'm trying to uh, finish as answering that, that other question. I don't feel like I'm always taking these long tangents.
0: <laughs> no, but, uh, I, I mean, mean you,
1: this... you had mentioned, <laughs> no, go ahead, go ahead.
0: No, I mean, this is, this is what we're here for. I mean, this is, uh, you know, I want to hear what you have to say and, and where, you know, my questions are, Thought starters like they don't necessarily have to be answered. Down. We don't have to go down the list. Like I don't. Like I told you, I don't write. I don't rewrite. I don't write any of these questions down. I'm just curious about about particular things. Um, going back to what you're saying about about how you develop proficiency, and it's such a it's such a dumb example. But think about how hard it was to tie your shoes before, and how now you tie your shoes and don't obviously don't even think about it you do it so quickly and this is another interesting thing that uh that i read that everyone puts on the same shoe or puts on either their left or their right shoe the same every time and then ties it so when you're putting your shoes on like you if you put your left foot on or your left shoe on you always put your left shoe on first and then your right or vice versa
2: yeah, it's that's like, right. that's, <laughs> it's like a crazy,
0: that's a crazy habit, crazy habit thing. But it's like all of those things, like, you yeah. know, when you're a kid, it's dumb, but like you're fumbling around, you can't get the shoe on, you don't know how to tie it it takes now it's like, boom, 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 boom. And it's only because you did it every single day. And then after a while, it just becomes, it just becomes second nature. A lot harder, you know, to play a double stroke world than to tie your shoes, but I don't know. If you ask a kid if you, what's harder to tie your shoes or to do a double stroke roll, it's probably equally as hard. They're probably the same, the same to yeah. them. Yeah,
1: absolutely, absolutely.
0: Weird Not analogy, me. I mean, but I, I was just daughter, thinking that when so, you were I mean, saying
1: she, it. No, but it's the it's the truth. It's the truth. I, I I have a daughter. She's she's a toddler, and you know we we're going through certain things with her. You know, like um, just learning how to uh cope with things that that she you know she's really bright she's very intelligent um and you know she's i mean she's my daughter so i'm always like in awe of her um she's right um there's these moments where she she gets really frustrated because she's uh, accustomed to being able to do things at her will um and the moment that she's not able to do do that, that's when it's a, you know, that's when the frustration really sets in. And mm-hmm. we always have to be a constant reminder to her, you know, obviously to breathe and, you know, things will, uh, develop over time. Like I, we, we always say practice makes progress for her. And so that she's not in this place of, you know, constantly trying to perfect something. And, mm-hmm. um, you know feeling that she's she's less than because she's not able to achieve um, you know the the task at hand at the, in the moment um and then also just you know focusing one task at a time as opposed to like jumping around and even though we're talking about you know I'm talking about my my daughter who's a toddler it's really those simple fundamental things that you know we could really apply to to everything I mean obviously we we, we were saying that there's no real difference between tying a shoe and playing a double stroke role in terms of the level of difficulty. And that's that's true not just for a child, but that's also true in life. It's you know, the the only difference is uh, our choice, our um our action. Mm-hmm. It was like um the the great I mean, I, I, I sound like all my teachers right now. The the great um Mr. Bat always says you have to ask the great questions. And um one of the questions that I, I that always I ponder now is a uh, is Shakespeare to be or not to be that is the question and I never understood that when I was younger but you know it makes so much more sense now like really it, it's in the power of our mind that we decide if we're going to be something or if we're not going to be something yeah or if something is going to happen or if it's not going to happen. Um, or yeah. if we want something, we're going to achieve it or we're not going to achieve it. We really decide that for ourselves before even getting to the task. So, yeah, you know, it really starts It starts with us. If we decide that we're going to do something or be something, that's when the success actually happens. And, you know, from there, you're just watering the seed. You just know it's going to come, you know, yep. you, you know, it's going to sprout.
0: It's such a valid point. I think that people think that, like you, like your professor said about sprinkling fairy dust, like people, you know, friends of mine say to me all the time, they're like, oh man, you're so lucky. Like, I wish I could play the drums like you can. And I said, yeah, but I like, I can't pole vault. And they're like, well, why would you be able to pole vault? Right. And I'm like, exactly. I've never done it before. I've never practiced it. And you haven't either. And you're not a good pole vaulter either. And they're like, oh, okay, I get it. You know, like I'm, I'm, I'm not a. I don't want to call myself a good drummer, uh, to the audience out there. So let me just say, I'm not able to play the drums. Oh, no. I'm not able to play the drums just because I woke up one day and somebody sprinkled some dust on me and, and I was like, Oh, I think I'm just going to go play the drums. It it, it was horrible for a long time and frustrating and, and felt like I, maybe I wasn't made to play this instrument and, and all of those things the same way that it would be if I was trying to learn Paul vaulting or, or anything else, you know?
1: yeah yeah no that's 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 it <laughs> like if you don't if you don't spend the time in it you know doing what that you know that you're setting out to do you you shouldn't be upset or you know cry tears over something that you haven't put in put the put the work into doing
0: yeah i saw a I quote mean, that's, the other day that's
1: just the, that's the answer.
0: don't be upset about the the results you didn't get by the work you didn't put in
1: <laughs> that's that's it <laughs> <So true. laughs> that's perfect that's it um
0: <laughs> uh, well i want to yeah. i i know that it's uh you know now we're we're closing it on the 1 in the morning so i want to i'm going to let you go where's the best place uh for people to follow along uh with not only the stuff that you're doing uh on the side with with pat Matheny and all that but also with your record and where they can check you out and where's the best place for that
1: Well, uh, I'm always, I have a a website that you can really go to and get all of my social media. It's joedyson.com. And you can also go to Instagram. That's usually where I'm at most of the time, uh, which is joe underscore Dyson. Uh, That's D-Y-S-O-N. And also Twitter, same handle, joe underscore Dyson. And uh, you can also go to my Facebook page. Uh, which I believe is Joe Dyson Music, and you can possibly use the same handle, Joe underscore Dyson. Um, Really, again, you can go to the website and it'll have all of that there. Um, Also, please support uh, my debut record, uh, Look Within. Um, I've had um, a really great time putting the music together and um, really, you know, just happy to have this out and and, uh, I hope someone is able to uh, experience uh, something from it, and, and be able to grow from it, and find something that they love from it. And we, ha- I'm going to have more performances coming up. I'm actually working on some really great things, uh, so please stay tuned. I have a lot of a lot of great news coming up in, uh, for this fall, and you know other things that's coming up. So yeah, definitely stay tuned for sure.
0: Awesome. Good deal, man. Well, again, thank you for one, for being on the show, but two for doing it after a gig in Italy, so it's <laughs> it's late as hell for you so I I truly appreciate it, man, and uh, looking forward to having you back anytime you're more than welcome, hopefully we can, we can connect in person one of these days while you're out on the road
1: Absolutely, thank you so much Nick, I really appreciate it
0: Likewise, it was my pleasure, I'll talk to you soon
1: Blessings, man,
0: thank you There you have it. That's Joe Dyson. And you can grab the show notes by going to drummersresource.com forward slash 659. And if you dig the podcast, do me a favor, leave a rating, leave a review that lets people know that this podcast is good and that they should be listening to it as well. Also, if you have somebody who you think would like this, share it with them or share it just on your social media, tag me in it. Would love to see it. i love to see not only that you're listening, but where you're listening. So if you're out and about and you're on the road or... You're doing something cool or, I don't know, riding the bus. doesn't matter what you're doing. I love seeing those pictures. So tag me in them. I'd like to check them out. And that's all I got for now. So until the next podcast, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll be talking to you soon. Peace. Drummer's Resource is produced by Revoice Media. Executive producer Nick Ruffini. That's me. Edited by Justin Thomas. Video editing by Tomas Shannon and graphic design by Catherine Wade. For more music and entertainment podcasts, be sure to check out revoicemedia.com.